This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuning in to the new TNN. Culture addicts, welcome back to the new TNN. It's time for Top Man, which means only one thing list based entertainment here on the new TNN, presented by Johnny C, who is I. You know, we're in November, which can mean only one thing it's time for teams of four or five to strive to survive at the Survivor Series. It's Survivor Series season. Now the crown jewel is in the rearview mirror here in the real world. So why not talk about the Survivor Series? A fun tradition. I kind of miss it to a certain extent. And then I kind of don't because, you know, in its original iteration, it's hard to keep storylines going with teams striving to survive. But what I want to do here on Top Man today is take a look at the top 10 worst Survivor Series teams. I'm not of all time. I suppose, caveat up front, it's the top 10 worst Survivor Series team basically until I stopped paying super strict attention. So we're looking at like from 87 all the way to like 03, basically. Uh, So basically the Federation and Attitude eras. Because once I started taking a look at the list past like 03 and 04, I was like, man, all I know is what I can look at on paper like I can't really rank these but that's okay I'd rather do something I'm completely confident in than just make up bullshit so here we are today now a quick caveat to this list on top of the asterisk I already gave you women's teams are not eligible for this list and here's why the WWE didn't take women's wrestling seriously until WrestleMania 32 so I'm not going to take it seriously until WrestleMania 32 um Because it's just kind of an unfair comparison. Not saying that the women involved in the Survivor Series couldn't have pulled off awesome shit. Uh, The Survivor Series 95 match isn't bad. It's just an unlevel playing field. It's not apples to apples. And so therefore, I'm not going to include them on the worst list because they didn't get a fair break. Now, aside from the top 10, okay, uh, when we get to the end, I want to point this out right now in case you're the type of person that turns it off as soon as you get to number one. There's a special bonus treat, even though it's top man, after we get to the number one on the list. So don't turn it off. We're going to start with eight honorable mentions, because when I I, I narrowed down the list, I had 18. I was like, well, I'm only doing 10. I'll at least shout out these other bad ones. And we're just going to go in chronological order. From 1989, and this might surprise you, Rowdies, Roddies. And this might give you a little bit of insight into how I actually made the list itself, but... When you really look at this bad boy, all you really have is a Rowdy Roddy Piper. And that's what, honestly, Piper is what keeps them off the list. 
Superfly, at this point in time, has just come back at WrestleMania 5 famously by interrupting a match that's about to start, and he's worthless. Now, the Rockers, I love the Rockers, it's fine, but at this point in time, they are the babyface tag team that it's okay to have lose on TV. So, yeah, they're worth a mention. Then, from 1990, <laughs> goddamn. Wouldn't you know, it's the same fucking team, but you're swapping out Jake the Snake for fucking uh, Rowdy Piper. Because it's the Vipers, and it's the same fucking team. It's the same fucking team. And Jake is lower on the totem pole than Piper, because Jake can lose, alright? Then Survivor Series 1994, again, they should make the list because the match is bleh, But it's an unfair comparison point, because they were put out there to do a comedy match. It's the Royal Family and Clowns Are Us. I'm not going to dive into it. You know why. Okay, and I'm not throwing shade. It's just ill-intended from the get-go. Then, Survivor Series 1995. Well, it's not the Wild Cards or the Wild Cards. It is the dark side. Henry Godwin. Savio! Savio Vega, get down, get funky. Uh, Making a difference for two! And The Undertaker. So basically, it's the Bone Skull crew. Now, I'm not throwing shade at them because they're the Bone Skull crew, even though B, the Bone Skull crew, is nothing to be proud of. It's just The Undertaker and three guys who just can lose any match on any Raw at any time. And so they're carried by the name cachet of The Undertaker. 1996, Razor Ramon, Big Daddy Cool, Diesel, the man they call Vader, and Farouk. Now, I am kind of a sucker for this match that they're a part of, okay? However, it's fake Razor, it's fake Diesel, Kane, but at this point, just fake Diesel, okay? So, and the if you listen to the North-South Connection podcast network, the Wrestling Warzone has been great on analyzing how far Razor and Diesel fall from one set of tapings to the next, because at the tapings they debut, they're still taken seriously, but when the next set of tapings comes around, they're like nowhere to be found because the angle crashed and burned hard, so they shouldn't even be here. But the roster's thin, so they need to be here. Vader, oh, how the mighty have fallen, and the fact that he's in this match basically because someone else is on the babyface team, which, spoiler alert, we'll talk about later, there's no point. The saving grace to this entire team, and the reason they're only an honorable mention, because the match is a stupid-ass finish, is Farouk debuting in his Nation of Domination character. I love it. I used to watch his entrance at this pay-per-view all the time as a kid. I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. So there you go. Rounding out the honorable mentions, it's 1997, two teams that went against one another at the actual show. Uh, I, the match made Starman, one of our, I think our very first episode actually. It's the Truth Commission in the DOA, and the only reason, the only reason they don't get the, to the list of worst Survivor Series teams is because, yes, they are technically Survivor Series teams, but they're actual stables. So they're together all the time. And it's not really a fair comparison point, but good lord, are they awful. Which means, here we go with the top 10 worst Survivor Series teams of the era that I prefaced. Number 10, from Survivor Series 1988, Team Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now this team is comprised of team captains Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Jake the Snake Roberts. In the middle, 
We've got former Intercontinental Champion Tito Santana. And here's the problem. Rounding out the back end, Creamy Legs, Ken Patera, and Scott Casey. So, why do they make the list? Well, let's talk about the unobvious first. So, Hacksaw and Jake are in charge of this team. And, yes, Hacksaw and Jake, this is 1988. These guys could legitimately main event anywhere in the country, okay? And I don't say that as a joke. It's That's the way it was. That being said, Hacksaw and Jake are two mid-card guys that don't really ever finish the job, if that makes sense. It's like, Jake will feud with Andre, and it's like, Jake will win, but he'll win by DQ. Hacksaw will feud with Dino Bravo, and he'll lose by DQ, or he'll feud with, like, Rick Rude, and win by DQ. Like, these guys are not babyface finishers. In the middle, Tito Santana, who I love, but... (sighs) Much kind of like Savio Vega in a way. No, I don't like that comparison. It seems really inappropriate. But like, Tito's like a, if you need him to pop in and win a match, sure, he can do that safely. But when you safely need someone to lose and put over a, a new heel, well, Tito's your guy. See WrestleMania six as an example. So you've got three Good baby faces on top of the team. And this is why they're only number 10. Because of the strength of the first part half of the team. But then you round it out with Ken Patera and his fucking creaminess. And Scott... I don't even know who Scott Casey is. Is he like a superstar's job guy? And I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah, I could have looked it up. But I didn't. So, you've got three guys that just can't win the big one. And two fucking jobbers at the bottom. And even though it's an early entry, and I would argue that even bad Survivor Series teams in early entries are still like power teams, still teams that are worthy of, you know, being a part of the show because it's 87, 88. I mean, it's seeing 10 guys in a match that are all named cachet. That's huge. But again, they're a bad combination, and that's why they get put on number 10. And they're the only team from this era that makes the list. So, you know, I had I felt like I had to get somebody, and this is the worst of the worst. Now, let's move forward to number nine. It's 1993, and I'm calling this roster of losers the Knights of the Old Republic, which is, of course, a Star Wars reference, but it's the Heartbreak Kid Jack, Shawn Michaels, and Jerry the King Lawler's Knights of the Old Republic. Okay, it's out of their control, first of all. What a strange combo. Shawn Michaels and Knights. Doesn't make any sort of brand synergistic sense. Well, remember, Shawn Michaels is a replacement for Jerry the King Lawler, who's out of action due to rape allegations. So, they have to pivot, and it's really out of their control, that being the brass at the World Wrestling Federation. But, why not change it up? If you're going to take out, and I don't know that this makes it better, but on paper it kind of does. Instead of Shawn Michaels and the Knights, make it Shawn Michaels and his Heartbreakers. Like something. Because you're fighting the Hart family, holy shit! Yes, do the Heartbreakers. And I just... Look, I'm a fat guy with a wrestling podcast, and that just popped into my head, and I think it's 60 billion times better. You're wrestling the Hart family, Shawn Michaels and the Heartbreakers. I'll hear none of it. 
give me a million dollars, WWE. I could solve your problems. I can't believe... Now, someone's probably said that before. I'm probably not the first guy. But, man, I feel smart having just come up with that off the fly. Not to mention that if you are sticking with the Knights, it's a check that they never decide to cash. Because as a kidster, I assumed that part of the cachet of having three masked wrestlers or three mystery partners would be that they would be revealed to be three names that are returning to the World Wrestling Federation or being repackaged. They weren't. Horowitz, Greg the Hammer Valentine, another guy. I know they tried to get uh, fucking Terry Funk, but Old Blue, the Old Blue Knight got sick. His Old Blue Horse got sick, and I don't know. That's where we're at. So the Knights of the Old Republic just don't make any fucking sense. And so that's why they're here at number nine. I really wanted to put the Hart family on here, but I couldn't justify it. So the Knights get the call. I mean, I just hate the Hart family, and that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be true to the spirit of the list. Speaking of the list, (laughs) dynamite transition there, Johnny. Number eight from the Survivor Series 1991. I don't know what else to call him, so I'm calling him Team Colonel. Former World Wrestling Federation champion Colonel Mustafa leads an absolute elite squadron of the Mighty Hercules, who's a last-minute replacement, the Berserker, and, whoa, Skinner, an alligator man! I mean, Colonel Mustafa is your team captain? Colonel Mustafa, who, I mean, did he even wrestle aside from pay-per-views? He probably did. I'm sure he did. But, like, the Sheik is broken, folks. He should not be here. And this team, absolute fucking jobbers. I mean, honestly, I think Colonel Mustafa, T.L. Hopper, Alex the Pug Parteau, and Freddie Joe Floyd might be a better team. Famously, those are the 96 name jobbers that were brought in in the summer of 96. I just don't know. Well, no, these guys have more name cachet. But like the Berserker could have been something. I mean, this is Survivor Series 91. Berserker, don't forget, was supposed to do battle with the British Bulldog at WrestleMania 8 and 92, uh, but they didn't happen. So Berserker probably has still a little name cachet, but that's a problem. He's the highest guy on the team, and he's just a throwaway, not even given consideration to. Skinner the Alligator Man, also just a fucking first match jobber. Um... These guys just feel like the type of guys that wouldn't even pick up a victory on superstars. You know what I mean? They're the guys that lose on all American wrestling. And that's part of the reason why they're on the list. Like, and they're, they're lower because I think some of the other teams on this list are just bad combinations. But, you know... Another thing, too, is that these guys clearly aren't positioned to win their match. They're just warm bodies for Hacksaw and Slaughter to sacrifice to the good old U.S. of A. But still, why? Why even do this? Or find some more brand synergy. Put Mustafa in here with a mid-card guy and a tag team. Because those are the best Survivor Series teams, right? Uh, a, A pushed or a babyface and a heel that are in a feud as the captains then mid-card guy, and then a tag team. It doesn't always work that way. Hell, it hardly ever works that way. But when it does, that really feels special, like a unit. And this doesn't feel anything like a unit. And so, they make the list. Speaking of not feeling like a unit, and earlier we talked about the Knights and the WWE refusing to cash a check. 
Why didn't they cash the mystery partner check in the Survivor Series of 1996? The team is Flash Funk making his debut. Sabio! Sabio Vega, get down, get funky. The mammoth, mighty Yokozuna. And the mystery partner, which turned out to be Shuby Shuby Superfly. Now, Flash Funk's making his debut here, which I was excited for. We didn't know anything about this brash, high-flying youngster, except that he's a pimp, I guess. JR makes some sort of comment right away, because Flash Funk is wearing red and yellow. He's like, oh, I don't think the red and yellow's ever looked this good in the garden, McMahon. And it's like, oh, fuck me sideways, JR. No one's buying into this. Like, I get it's the height of the Monday Night War, but come the fuck on. Then you get Sabio, Sabio Vega, get down, get funky, whose best night was, the, like, the King of the Ring 95, if. And it's just, there's no point to Savio at this. I mean, he's, see, I mean, I've talked about Tito and Savio in the comparison. Honestly, aside from holding the Intercontinental Championship, Savio's a guy that can win on Superstars, win on Raw, if you need him to. But he's definitely the guy that you send out there to lose, to gatekeep the midcard, okay? Um... Next, Yokozuna, who was last seen accidentally breaking the top rope at SummerSlam. Now, he's in this match because Vader's in this match, or vice versa. They haven't feuded since, like, Mania 12. It's just, all Yokozuna does here is, number one, embarrassed, because he, he should not be in the ring. He should be getting help, okay? But all it does is Yoko's presence here devalues Vader, and that's a big mistake, Maybe Vader was never going to get where he should have gotten, but putting him in here and reprogramming him with Yoko is a big mistake. And the absolute icing on the cake, the rumors were hot and heavy that the macho man Randy Savage was going to re-sign with the World Wrestling Federation. Again, they've covered this on the Wrestling Warzone on Friend of the New TNN, North-South Connection Podcast Network. So I don't want to steal their thunder. They can analyze it much greater and have... But it's just, I I bought in. I was online at the time and thought it was the Macho Man. I told my brother, the Macho Man's coming back. And here we get, just inducted into the Hall of Fame, fucking long-nippled Superfly Jimmy Snuka. It was embarrassing. I mean, he did hit the Superfly Splash, I guess. But when you consider Savio and Yoko are big-time downers, Flash Funk's debut is marred in a disqualification when The Rock and Furnace and LaFon both won their matches who were also debuts. Superfly as a shit mystery partner, icing on the cake. They make the list at number seven. I feel like I need not explain myself any further. Rounding out the bottom five. Number six from Survivor Series 1989. My first pay-per-view in history. Should surprise no one that it's the 4x4s with Team Captain Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Rugged Roddy Garvin, the mighty Hercules, and Brett Hitman Hart. So, kind of shades of what we spoke about earlier. Most of the teams in the Survivor Series 89 are that lovely configuration we spoke. Well, not most, I shouldn't say that. Uh, the bottom three are, or the, the last three matches are. Uh, babyface and heel that are feuding, mid-card guy and tag team. So there's two that's aren't, that are not, but the Dream Team and the Enforcers are badass tag teams. The King's Court is not a great team, but you get some synergy there because Dino and Earthquake, because Earthquake replaces the Widowmaker, and you get Hammer, who's feuding with Garvin, and of course the Macho King. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, we've talked about, he's the DQ winner 
or the DQ loser. And in fact, he loses this match via countout. He's the babyface that doesn't get the job done. Rugged Ronnie Garvin, same thing. This guy has means nothing to the World Wrestling Federation. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean. I know he's like former NWA champion, but it's just nothing here. Nothing here at all. Hercules hasn't done anything important since he stopped being the third mega power. He's about to get squashed at Mania by Earthquake. Bret Hart does deliver in this match, like he goes against the King. And I'll take all my Bret Hart like hate aside. He's what he's a tag guy here. He's yes, they, they were they were considering the push, but at this moment in time, he's one half of the Hart Foundation. Why is he here without his partner? It doesn't make any sense, and I'm not impressed. He becomes impressive, but on paper, this team is just not doing it for me. And the reason they're higher on the list than some of these teams we've talked about is because the Survivor Series 1989, I hold in a higher regard. They should have done, they should have been able to able to do something better. Even if you have to reconfigure some of the other matches, the the roster's capable of better than this team. And I think that's a reason why they make the list because the baby faces on this team don't inspire any hope, which sounds really cheesy, but they don't inspire, they don't look like the type of team that's going to win on paper because these are guys that never seal the deal. And so that puts them all the way up at number six. Blasphemy? Well, I don't know. But the next half of the list isn't going to get any better. Number five, kind of breaks my heart a little bit because I'm a big fan of the actual match. However, from the Survivor Series 1990, it's the Mercenaries! Now, why do I love the match? Well, I mainly love the match because this team falls to the power of Ariba Derche! According to the Ultimate Warrior in the promo before the grand finale match of Survival, But Tito Santana really brings it to this team, and it's Tito's most glorious moment in the history of the sport. But it's Team Captain Sergeant Slaughter leading Boris Zukov, who I believe is a replacement for the African Dream, Akeem, and the Orient Express. So it's the right setup. It's the setup I've spoken of. So what's the problem? Here's the problem. There's too much pomp and circumstance around this team for them to go out like the bitches that they do. It's... Well, number one, Boris Sukov is an awful, awful substitution, and he eats the flying forearm immediately. But the pomp and circumstance I'm talking about for this team is is twofold. Number one, the promo that Slaughter cuts to his drum music. It's insane. People have spoken about it at great length. I don't want to redo what's already been told, but he cuts this huge promo with the music, and it, it destroys your ears. But... Not many Survivor Series teams get to cut a promo during their entrance. And then they all have the camouflage face paint on. So they're a team that's unified in concept. And they just go down like a bunch of jobbers. Sure, they are a bunch of jobbers. But in the next pay-per-view, Slaughter's going to win the goddamn WWF title. So what's one supposed to do here? Um, Like I said, it's the match is fun enough. It was always a... Like, when I would rewatch the Survivor Series 90 as a kid, I wouldn't fast-forward through any of this match. That's probably the best props that I can give it, because I didn't discover Adderall until I was much older. Uh, so, yeah, but but they, they make the pivot point here, because it's such a fucking disgrace of a Survivor Series team. Like I said, given the amount of attention and panache that they have, and the fact that Slaughter 
is destined to go on to much greater things at the very, very, very next show. Now, granted, he gets eliminated by DQ, but at the same time, it's just, I don't know. But uh, like I said, though, huge place in my heart for the mercenaries. I don't have much of a loving embrace for this next team, though. Team number four from the infamous Survivor Series 1997, Team USA. And you know, on one side, this team is sort of the embodiment of the United States because they have nothing in common. But good Lord, how the mighty have fallen because they take on Team Canada, which is like the British Bulldog and Furnace of the Fawn, who aren't Canadian, and I think Anvil, who's not Canadian. Um, and it's like how the Canada-United States war has fallen. And that's the reason that Team USA is so high on the list, because it is the very, very last legs of the amazing U.S.-Canada war from 1997 that's my favorite angle of all time. I don't know if I've ever said that out loud, but it's true. It's the angle that absolutely fucking owned me. All right, 97 rules. But Vader is picking up the scraps here as the leader. He wasn't even a part of the Canadian Stampede contingent. Now, Goldust, I'll give you, he was part of the initial resist of the initial La Resistance against the Hart Foundation and their Canadian invasion. But I believe at this point he's the artist and he's out here with like a Madonna bra and some chains. And, and hey, that's fine. But at the same time, the character, the character is completely uninterested in the war. Marvelous Mark Barrow. What's he doing here? He's just now turning into his boxer variant. And... I think this is the early stages of that, maybe. And why have Marrow go down so hard if you're trying to get his new character over? Vader in the WWF was never going to amount to a goddamn thing. And having him as the leader, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to Leon White, but this version of Vader is worth zero. I'm, so, I'm sorry, that sounds so awful to say. But, but I'm standing by it. Like, So having him as the leader is just... Ugh. Now, team member number four... Even though he doesn't yet have his awesome theme music, it is the Lethal Weapon Steve Blackman. That being said, it's his very debut as a World Wrestling Federation combatant. And doesn't he get himself disqualified or counted out by doing something stupid, if I'm not mistaken? It'd be equivalent to, like, tossing himself or eliminating himself from the Royal Rumble. Like, he does something really stupid. But it's just, I mean, come on, this is our defense? Well, there must not be much to defend against. And that's the whole point. Like, the angle is done. Like, everybody has moved on. The Hart Foundation has moved on. We've sort of moved past U.S. and Canada in a nutshell. And uh, you don't have, like, the main cornerstones of the Hart Foundation available to compete. So just just move on, guys. Do Reconfigure some of the stuff. Maybe put a couple of guys in here with a tag team. Break up the DOA, the Truth Commission. Now, I'm not saying that makes the matches any better, but maybe it makes the teams at least fit in that tight-knit Survivor Series configuration that we've spoken of ad nauseum. But, uh, yeah, it just it doesn't cut the mustard, and I'm a huge fan of mustard, so disappointment all around. You know what, though? I'm not so much disappointed by team number three, on the list. As a matter of fact, I don't really have anything bad to say about team number three, but come on. they If you're doing a list of this nature, 
They had to make the list. You may even know who it is just from this introduction. And if you do, God love you. You get my sense of humor. But it's the Mean Street Bulldogs, okay? Shane's lovable oafs, the Mean Street Posse, who at this point, I believe, are on the outs with a Shane McMahon, teaming up with their mentor, the British Bulldog. Unbelievable. What a team. And it's not even the British Bulldog at the height of his powers. It's the British Bulldog at the height of his addiction. Wrestling in some fucking jeans. <laughs> I just don't even. Oh, Mr. Rodney, we got to go out there. And we got to win this Survivor Series match. Mr. Pete Goss, what are you doing? That's my crack. Mr. Joey Abs, I like your sweater, Mr. Abs. I want to borrow your sweater, Mr. Abs, for my Thanksgiving party. <laughs> Come on, let's go win a Survivor Series match, Mr. Posse's. <laughs> I just don't even know. Like, what a team. Who booked this? What was the rationalization? Like, I don't mind the idea. Like, the idea of the Bulldog, like, being the mentor for the posse and trying to toughen him up for the wars of WWF competition. Like, cool. But I I don't feel like that was happening. And I don't feel like it happened after. So it just really feels mushed together. Like, out of left field, out of nowhere. Maybe I'm misremembering history. I'm not going to go back and rewatch the Raws leading up to the goddamn Survivor Series 1999, one of the worst shows ever. But, I mean, it's a lovable combination, and it's number three. It's not number one or number two because, and this might be the dumbest reason you've ever heard, but how easy is it to remember this team? It's real simple. It's Bulldog and the Posse. It's like the perfect team from 1990 if the perfect team sucked. Because it's perfect and all three members of Demolition. Easy to say. Easy to remember. We're in. We're out. So, God love them. They are only number three. Even though they lose their match at the Survivor Series to team number two on the list. And you might have thought it was going to be number one, but damn it, they're only number two, so what could number one be? It's the European Championship Division. It's the only brand synergy I could find here. It's the team that defeats the British Bulldog and the Mean Street Posse at the Survivor Series of 1999. Four people pulled direct from the lower midcard that have no brand synergy whatsoever. The fact that they win is mind-boggling. We've got... Val Vetus rhymes with Dick, teaming up with the man who leads, well, a gothic lifestyle, Gangrel, sexual chocolate, Mark Henry, and once again, the lethal weapon, Steve Blackman. Now, judging from the numbers, Blackman's on the number four team and the number two team. Is Steve Blackman the worst teammate to have in a Survivor Series configuration? And sure, We've seen random teams thrown together before. But this has to be the most random assortment in history, and here's why. It's the Attitude Era. So good luck keeping straight who's a heel and who's a face, and to a better extent, why they're a heel and, and why. Well, excuse me, not why. Why they are a heel and why they are a face. Like, what storyline are they in the middle of that dictates their alignment? Good fucking luck. You know, random teams from like 87, 88, and 89, like when I tell you the 4x4s, you know what they are. They're a fucking babyface team. Uh, Hacksaw's the leader, and that's that. Like, they at least like have that 
All elusive brand synergy we're talking about. These guys have absolutely nothing. I mean, like I said, I scraped for a team name, calling them the European Championship Division. I mean, these guys are losing European Championship matches on heat, in my opinion, at this point. Somehow, God love them, they win the match. But you know what? They're such a fucking hodgepodge of nonsense. They are absolutely number two worst team in Survivor Series history. Number one. We're already here. It is from Survivor Series 1993, the four doinks. Now, why are they number one? I'll tell you why they're number one. And this is actually serious. The rest of this has been fine. I don't know how serious this is, but hear me out here. So, basically, it's uh, the four doinks taking on Bam Bam Bigelow's team of, like, the Head Shrinkers and somebody else. Fuck me sideways. Adam Bomb, maybe? I don't know. I might be misremembering, but it's not really important. The thing is, is that Bam Bam has been feuding with Doink for some time. And this match needs to exist to extend the feud to get them to a WrestleMania 10 mixed tag team match. And like I said, it's being advertised as the four Doinks. The, the graphic for the matchup is even so cool because it pictures four different doinks. One with, like, the doink we know. One with short hair. One with a different jacket. When the match starts, goddamn men on a mission and the fucking bushwhackers come out with their face painted like doink and they win this matchup, I think, four to nothing. What a fucking missed opportunity. Doink itself is a missed opportunity. One of our, I think our second episode of Bright Man covered Doink versus Perfect in 1993, the trilogy of matches they have. I think it's, or 90, yeah, 93. I think it's clear how much I fucking love the original evil Doink. We're not too far from that. Why not just take Doink? Yes, the babyface one that can't wrestle as well as evil Doink. And find three guys in the back. Just three guys that can wrestle you know, aren't identifiable as other superstars. That's the kicker. You got to find guys who are like, maybe enhanced, not so much enhancement, but maybe guys who are competent that haven't debuted on TV yet and dress them up as doink and just do illusion shit. Have one doink with a shorter wig. Have one doink that has like a frown face. Have one doink that has like an evil face. Just do four doinks and have them absolutely murder this team because the other team's freaked out that there are actually four doinks present. Like, have an interview with the Heels where they're like, well, there's only one doink, so we're going to go in here, we're going to win, we're going to have some turkey, and we're going to take our you know, our winner's side of the purse, and we're going to the casino or some shit. Like, I don't know. And then, when four doinks actually fucking show up, there you go. It just... It seems like such a missed opportunity to me. Yes, I'm a huge evil doink, Mark. But at the same time, I feel like it was worth it to give it a shot. Go the extra mile and do something that's at least memorable. Now, you might remember men on a mission dressed up like some fucking clowns. And, you know, your, your results may vary on that. I guess I remember it. But at the same time... Missed opportunity completely to get the he a little more out of the babyface doink. To put a little panache on the babyface doink and not have it be so stupid. Because you never know. If it goes well, maybe more people give a shit about doink. And you can actually make some money off of him. But as it stands, that's number one. Which means we have reached the conclusion of the top ten. And didn't I promise you folks a little something extra? I knew this was going to be a shorter episode. And folks, I hope this is worthy of that promise. 
shades of other shows here on the new TNN where I recap pay-per-views. We're going to recap as I watched and took a lot of notes for a very special Survivor Series encounter. It features number three on the list versus number two. Yes, it's the Mean Street Bulldogs taking on the European Championship Division live and in living color. It comes to us from the Survivor Series 1999 in the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan with JR and the King on the call. Hello, ladies. Out first is Val Vetus. We cut to the crowd and God love him. Some fucker here in Detroit is cosplaying as Val Vetus wearing just a towel. How did he get inside the building? JR says, well, Val Vetus is leading his team. It's interesting to me that Val's the team captain here, but putting my brain into the Wayback Machine, I guess Val Vetus has just wrapped up a feud with Mankind over Val putting Mr. Rocco in his crotch, so I guess he would be the highest member of this European Championship division. Four men king that seemingly have nothing in common. Oh, but a very impressive team, JR. It's sexual, baby. Now, Pay attention here, because here comes the next member of the team, Sexual Chocolate. King gets his brain working in overdrive. Well, JR, how can you say that Val Venus has nothing in common with Sexual Chocolate? They both love the ladies. JR gets indignant. Well, I'm sure that all four of these men are heterosexual, King. I'm sure all four of them love the ladies, King. That doesn't mean they got anything in common. Well, JR, didn't mean to make you mad. I'm not mad. I'm just making a point. Yeah, sexual chocolate. Well, he's a sex addict. At least, that's what he says he is. Hey, King, you ever been treated for that? Oh, there's a treatment for that? So, the European Championship Division team is now known as the heterosexuals. So, it's the Mean Street Bulldogs taking on the heterosexuals. Oh, Nere. Oh, Nere. Now, next on the team is the gothic one, Gangrel. Well, he loves the ladies too, JR. He loves to nibble on their necks. Uh, you're not talking about hickeys or something like that, are you, King? Well, you get a hickey from Gangrel. You get hospitalized. That, or you'll need a blood transfusion. Well, King, next up, here's one bad ombre coming to the ring right now, I tell you. It's Steve Blackman. However, I always watch it with the closed captions. And according to the closed captions, JR actually says, Here's one bad arm breaker coming to the ring right now, I tell you. Uh, we actually get a picture of the match graphic for the Survivor Series matchup. I just love it. Here comes... Uh, ruff, 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 ruff. Uh, well, it's the British Bulldog and his posse, if you will. Hey, they're not his posse, JR. They belong to the streets. The goddamn Denim Bulldog, as I previously stated, is here. And he's the current European champion. So, so much brand synergy. The match... Finally makes sense. The European Championship division is exploding before our very eyes. And there's a beautiful transition to the Mean Streets Posse theme. The Mean Streets Posse, of course, is Joey Abs, Pete Gass, and Rodney. JR calls them uh, the most inexperienced group in the entire Survivor Series. And it could come back to bite the Bulldog. The bell rings. So here we go. Val and the British Bulldogs start this thing off. They trade hip locks. Ladies and gentlemen... Crack is a hell of a drug because the British Bulldog manages to botch taking a hip lock as he flips forward instead of flipping to the side. Then, 
in an absolutely beautiful moment. The British Bulldog ducks a clothesline from Val Venus and runs to the corner to make a tag. Or I should say he's... Well, yeah, he runs to the corner to make a tag. However, he runs to the wrong corner and tries to tag Gangrel. He discovers his heir. He ducks a clothesline and scurries awkwardly to his corner to tag Pete Gas. Now, folks, I don't mind telling you, the British Bulldog character did not run to the wrong corner. David Smith, the man ran to the wrong corner because his eyes got really wide when he noticed where he was. Oh, no, that's not Pete Gas. You're that vampire fella. I'm totally fooked. JR and the King bring up the screw job from the Survivor Series 97, uh, but you could tell the Bulldog's not worried about that. He's just happy to be safe and secure on the outside with his posse. I love that, hypothetically, he could have been confused because Gangrel is wearing a white shirt and so are all the posse members. They're just wearing a sweater vest over the white shirts. Now, Pete Gass is the legal man. He takes a few steps towards Val Venus, and then he tags the British Bulldog back in. Bulldog hits a delayed suplex on Venus, and now the Bulldog tags Pete Gass back in. So it looks like the British Bulldog forgot to get Val Venus down on his back before he tagged in Pete Gass, because that had to be the spot, right? But Bulldog's like, don't worry, I fixed it, Mr. Goss. He's ready for you now. JR calls the Beach Street Posse idiots because of their attire. But the king gets real serious. Uh, JR, th- those are cashmere. You know what that is, right? Pete Gas catapults Valvetus into the corner, hits a side suplex for two. King, though, wants to know more about wardrobes. Uh, where do you get cashmere in Oklahoma, JR? Arkansas. They got a big mall over there. We go there on Saturdays every once in a while. Who the hell cares where I get my cashmere king? Steve Blackman is tagged in. JR, uh, well, this might get ugly. I love what JR says shoot comments that aren't supposed to be shoot comments because you got Blackman here against a Pete Gas. Blackman hits martial arts strikes and a jumping forward kick. One, two, three. I think Pete's gas, JR. It's true, gas is gone, and that makes me sad because I like Pete Gas uh, the most out of all the posse members. Rodney in now, and he's taking it to Blackman. Uh, Rodney should break the arms of the guy that did his hair, King. What? Blackman tags in the vampire warrior. Rodney eats turnbuckle, but counters with a crucifix. A goddamn crucifix by Rodney to a vampire. I love it. But shades of his mentor, the British Bulldog from SummerSlam 92. One, two, no. Rodney is in control, but no. Gangrel hits a little gut kick. Joey Abs interferes and distracts. Rodney holds Gangrel so Joey Abs can punch him. But wouldn't you know it, Gangrel ducks. Joey hits Rodney. An implant suplex. Oh, wait, it's an implant DDT, JR. Uh, gets a 1-2-3, and Rodney is out of here. Joey Abs is now taking it to Gangrel, but Gangrel creates separation and tags in Mark Henry. Joey Abs. God love him, gets Mark Henry up for a stun gun. It's impressive-ish. And then he misses a boss man rope-assisted leg assault. The goddamn internet wrestling community really needs a name for that move. But it's the thing where the boss man gets you on the ropes and then squashes you with his legs. I just don't know what to call it. Folks, JR tells the king that when he says sexual chocolate, he needs to put a more ethnic spin on it. And then practices... I have no words. I have no fucking words. Mark Henry hits an ultimate warrior splash on Rodney. One, two, three. JR has really had it up to here with these shenanigans and says, Oh, well, the first man to ever wear a green sweater vest at Survivor Series has been eliminated. 
Oh no! The Bulldog is all alone with just his kibbles and bits taking on a team of four. Bulldog assaults Mark Henry, but holy fuck, Mark Henry lifts and tosses the British Bulldog in the military press position. The British Bulldog barely flips over to land safe. It looked disastrous. Gangrel gets tagged in and goes up to the top rope. Now, the referee is really giving Gangrel a hard time about being on the top rope, even though he has a five count. So this is a stereotypical Survivor Series thing, because you know, Survivor Series eliminations happen involving things you don't usually see. Things that never happen on, like, Raw or SmackDown. Because Gangrel's distracted for so long by the ref that Bulldog punches him in the gut and hits a superplex for the one, two, three. But I gotta tell you, I don't know how super this plex was because the Bulldog absolutely just fell backwards off the top rope. And it's sheer fucking luck that this thing picked up the one, two, three. Steve Blackman is in now. JR compares the British Bulldog to the Cleveland Guardians because they had a big comeback win today. But it's around Thanksgiving time. And the King reminds JR that the football team in Cleveland is actually the Browns. Blackman goes up top for a Chris Benoit headbutt. It's supposed to miss, but the British Bulldog doesn't roll away in time. So Blackman sells head trauma, even though he squally hit the British Bulldog. Blackman then does a victory roll up on the Bulldog. The Bulldog barely kicks out. Blackman argues with the ref, because it's the Survivor Series. Blackman turns around, little gut kick by the British Bulldog, a perfect plex, one, two, three, and wow! Valvetus now runs in to defend his own finishing maneuver and the heterosexuals. It's a double-team scenario, though, but the British Bulldog hits a double clothesline, fighting off both men. A small package by Val gets only two. The Bulldog is up and tosses Val to the outside. Henry, though, assaults behind the referee's back and hits a body slam and another Ultimate Warrior Mark Henry splash. Val comes off the top for the money shot. One, two, three. And the heterosexual dynasty lives on. I would just like to give a special shout out to whomever sold Davy Boy Smith the crack he smoked before this matchup. Because it made it so wonderful to watch. JR says Val Vetus wins with a penetrating move. And we are done. Well, folks, that's... That's the Survivor Series 1999 in a nutshell. If you like it, if you think it's funny, make sure you subscribe to the new TNN as we continue to strive forward covering all sorts of pop culture shenanigans. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you, and we are pop.